Welcome to the Grimshaw Podcast, Building the City Series, with your host, Tim Williams. Hi, this is Tim Williams. I'm your host for the Grimshaw Cities Podcast Series. My brilliant guest today is David Hutton, Group Head of Development at major developer Lendlease. I've known David for a few years and our friendship becomes apparent, but I'm a great admirer and he's done projects in Australia, in Italy and in the UK that you will all know about. And he's currently working in Milan and Singapore on major mixed-use development projects. He did Barangaroo, the great uh, development uh, in Sydney Harbour, and you'll hear a lot about that in this podcast. It's really entertaining, really informative, full of values and full of interest. Check it out. So hello, David Hutton. And um, well, I'm sitting in London doing this uh, podcast. Where are you sitting? I'm sitting in Singapore. Tim, I live in Singapore. Um, I'm approaching my ninth year of living in Singapore. So you're a Singapore old hand. You, uh, we, can, we can rely on you for, for deep insights into the history and future of Singapore in this podcast, obviously. So no, I'm I still, I'm still, I'm, I still consider myself learning, Tim. Always learning, but um, okay, well, it's, been a, it's been a, it's been a feature of your, your work and your life. It seems to me, and I, I think it's a noble thing. We we keep on learning. So, David, what are you doing in Singapore? Um, well, Tim, I, I think you're aware I work for Lendlease. I'm um, I'm based and I'm a resident here in Singapore. I spend a large proportion of my time. Um, in different cities and Singapore's a great base and it's also been terrific to be able to be involved in a number of major projects here in Singapore, up in Kuala Lumpur, uh, to a lesser extent Tokyo and Shanghai. See, this is one of the things I, I did want to talk to you about, which is that um, many times we talk about uh, either cities or real estate or buildings or anything. Many of us have a, a kind of inevitably Western uh, approach to things. We we judge the world from Sydney or London or or New York, and actually, there's a bigger world out there. And I've noticed actually, and I'm I'm not going to go into that too much in this discussion, but I noticed that. Well, you may you may tell us something about this. The um, I thought there was uh, looking at the evidence, there was a bit of a difference between the performance of cities, um, the economic recovery of cities, uh, the you know the occupation of offices in cities in some of the Asian cities, in comparison with. Western cities. I don't know what Singapore is like. Uh, any view of the return to the office in Singapore? Is it as hybrid there as it is in other parts of the world? Um, I think I think the return to occupancy here in Singapore has probably been a little bit stronger than some of the other cities you mentioned. Um, I think, again, um, there's some common factors around that. Commuting times, obviously, Singapore's a relatively small landmass. Um, so commuting distances tend to be shorter. Um, homes tend to be smaller. So uh, Singapore's probably benefited from that. Um, I also think the Singapore government's worked pretty hard at, at really getting the city going again. Yeah. Um, it, the, the economy here is certainly open now, well and truly open. They're encouraging uh, more and more activity. So I think the city is certainly benefiting from that. And it's probably benefited also a little bit, Tim, from some of the movement from Hong Kong and other areas that okay. Singapore's been, uh, been a beneficiary of. But, but David, uh, you, you've nailed in a one immediate and, and straightforward response something I think that people are not clear enough about, which is that uh, some of the cities differ in their occupancy return because of the 
the nature of the commute on the one hand and because of the uh, size of their home on the other. Here's an interesting fact for you. Uh, oh, 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 by the way, you should be very wary when Tim Williams says, here's a fact for you. <laughs> but I think there, here's a fact for you. Um, office rents in Sydney went down, uh, according to, I think it was JLL, further than many other cities in the world. And uh, we were trying to understand why. And it was possibly because the nature of the commute in an Australian city or uh, in Sydney, but also because we've got bigger homes. So people were able to do home working uh, in Australia. So let's um, let's talk about your your day job. What is your day job, David Hutton? Um, so Tim, I, I work with Lendlease. I'm our, our group head of development. So that gives me a real privilege to be able to contribute to a whole range of large uh, real estate projects and investments. Lendlease is involved with. Uh, we operate in in four regions: the the Americas, Europe, here in Asia, and in Sydney and Australia. Um, we have a, a about eighteen billion Australian dollars of development underway, and that includes around twenty five large projects in around fifteen gateway cities around the globe. So you, it's a it's a real honour. To be able to to be able to work on that, many of them are with government, other stakeholders, and institutional investors. So, um, for those who don't know, I think we sh uh, we should say something about the the Lendlease history and reputation because they will be known in those continents that you talk about. But we have quite a lot, an international um, group of listeners. So, um, Lendlease uh, invented by the amazing Dick Dusseldorf back in the 50s or 60s, or uh, you tell me the history. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, well, from from my perspective, speaking, you know, objectively, I, I used to work with many of your colleagues, as you know, in uh, in Lendlease in various projects, and the reputation uh, almost everywhere in Sydney, perhaps Australia, and possibly the world, you will find somebody who was trained in Lendlease or spent. 10 years in Lendis and has gone on to other great work. And it's been, seems to be a kind of forcing ground of talent historically, but also Lendis has a reputation in Australia for not being your average developer, but also for, uh, you know, historically taking a view about community and the environment. And I, I know that you have been very concerned about these matters, David. So what, let's talk about uh, projects that you're working on at the moment to just get a fix about what you're up to at, the, at this time. Yes, so Tim, we've got we've got quite a, a broad portfolio um, across the cities I mentioned. Most of our projects are mixed use, focused around um, residential. So that includes increasingly build to rent as well as okay. residential sale. Um, workplace, we talk about sustainable office, sustainable workplace now, and that's obviously extending into innovation districts and life science and other areas. So some of the new economy and the new industries. Um, so they're, they're our pro predominant factor. Um, we've still got um, expertise in retail and probably what underpins all those things is, and you're alluding to, is really bringing together place. So putting putting multiple uses together in mixed use, um, focusing on areas that relate to transport and infrastructure, waterfront, city renewal. Um, so that tends to be the projects I spend more time with um, and are more involved with. So let's, let's, let's explore some of that because the, um, in a sense, anybody involved in, like you are in, in real estate and, and development would understand, as we always used to say, location, location, location. 
but it's a bit deeper than that, isn't it? You, you've got a, a, a professional understanding, I think, in in your work and your experience of of how buildings interact with the environment and the infrastructure to make a great place. Have you got any, you know, wisdom for us about what do you think a good place actually is, David? And, and you know, what, what do you think the role of the developer is in 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 that? Because it isn't an exclusive role of the developer to make a great place, is it? Oh, no, it's, it's certainly not, Tim, and, and it involves, it always involves multiple stakeholders, multiple expertise. And I think, you know, I think the old adage around location, location, location has largely been replaced now around connectivity, amenity, and the place and experience that people have. So, um, so for us, place really underpins everything we do. Um, and there's, a, there's obviously a very functional and logical element to that. There's also emotional connection with people. So I've always viewed, and it's probably because I started my career, Tim, back in retail. I always started with customers. I started with people's experience. And what I've tried to do is take that into real estate. Um, and I found, you know, working as part of Lendlease, a company that has been focused for a long time on a triple bottom line on the important sustainability and the importance of place um, is really why I've stayed with, with Lendlease the circa 30 years I've, I have. But place very much starts with people. And, and I think real estate always needs to start with people. Well, you, you mentioned there about the, the other stakeholders involved. One of the things I do think also about Lendlease, I'm, I'm not here to... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here to advertise any specific company, you know, because I have more experience with Lendlease than some of the others uh, at that level, is that they were always very good and very respectful of, you know, the uh, the other stakeholders in, in, in making a place. And I know it's a sensible thing to do, but not all developers take the view that they should, you know, be positive in their relationship with government and councils and all that. So I, I do commend that. Um, I wanted to ask you about the, the word experience there. You know, you, one of the things that's happening in the world of offices, let's, let's go to offices and then come back to build to rent. So office design and office adaptive reuse. What do you think about this? So here's my proposition that the, um, the big, biggest market I read about and I'm researching at the moment is a kind of adaptive reuse of offices. We are not, I'm not clear outside Asian cities. Let, let's come back to that. Asian cities might be still proceeding with the presumption that you know the the office world before twenty nineteen in a sense is still operational. I I think there's been a well there's been a profound disruption obviously in many cities in the world where people are hybrid working. Can we talk about a bit about what you think the challenge for you and for developers now will be and for landlords about the kinds of offices that we need to have to attract people into the office and and what will they experience there. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd start. I'd start with a general statement, Tim, that I think real estate always needs to evolve, um, and always has. And um, you know, if we if we look at some of the other asset classes, you know, retail people talk a lot about the sudden change. It's been 20, 25 years in the making. The change in terms of the internet and technologies brought through to retail. Workplace now is far, far more than just supply of space. You know, people used to talk about just supply of space. How many square feet do you need or square metres? You know, that's not the role of a modern workplace today. The, the modern 
the real role today, it's not about providing space, it's about providing services and amenity and contributing to talent, contributing to how they collaborate, how they come together, and the outcomes and the productivity that comes from that. So I, to me, it's a, it's a continuing evolution. Yes, COVID and some of the upgrades and acceptance and norms in technology have accelerated that. Um, but workplace is forever evolving. Clearly, sustainability is a big part of that. You know, people now want to occupy workplaces that contribute both social and environmentally on a sustainable basis. And the market and the developers and the asset owners and investors, we all need to respond to that and recognise that. So I'm, I'm positive on workplace. I think there's a real opportunity. There'll be winners and losers, obviously, but... Um, but great workplace can really contribute to an organisation, can contribute to the quality and attract quality talent and create better outcomes. So that's very much the workplace we're focused on. Interesting. The uh, And I agree with all that. I, let's go back one step. I, I, I like your point about um, offices always changing. Um, and also your point about what the, you know, the occupiers, the ultimate occupiers, the staff, you know, are wanting from their office environment. We're, we're noticing that um, staff and the talent are very strongly committed to, you know, what loosely we'd call ESG kind of values, and are very, you know, will not really want to work in an office which doesn't illustrate the highest sort of social and, and environmental commitment. I think is that your is that your view at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think organisations more than ever need to live the values and the brand they want to represent. So creating and moving to and being part of a sustainable environment is, is core to that. So, and you're absolutely right, there is, a, there is a competition more and more for talent and the best talent and therefore creating the right environment, demonstrating the right values is all part of that. And I think workplace it's got a great opportunity to play a, a significant role and really contribute to an organization's culture, to an organization's brand and the ultimate outcomes and productivity organizations can achieve. So I think workplace thinking how workplace needs to evolve, certainly not just sustainability, but that's a key part of it, but the environment workplace has around it, the place that it has, the amenities, the services, the connectivity, the technology, is all part of workplaces of the future. No, I like I like that because um, I have a, I had a worry a few years back that we were, you know, it's, this is inevitable coming from my own background. But I, I worry as much about the the S as the E as it were. You know, I, I worry much, as much about the immediate environment outside an office or the community that is in you know is benefiting from the economic activity in the office. And I, I think about you know. It, loosely the workers as well as you know the the, the planet and so i'm very keen that esg which is a real focus in the market now and i think because one thing again has changed in the last couple of years i think is the intensification of focus by everybody in the development chain on esg and it's interesting that the rents that are being uh, you know sort of uh, allocated to different kind of quality of, of assets now around esg if they if they're not up to scratch people will pay you know will not pay the same uh, rents for them so it's become a commercially necessary thing to do as well as a kind of you know responsible thing to do and i think that's amazing and also the way in which investors are demanding esg values are illustrated in buildings and, and, and you know landlords and developers having to pay attention so i think that's really a, a big shift do you think um 
there's a great phrase out there in my urban regeneration world uh, around this post-COVID workforce, which is that, that employers and landlords need to add cities, need to earn the commute that, you know, people don't have to get in the car to come to work or get on public transport to come to work as much as possible. So you have to earn their desire to come in. Is that your feeling too? Yeah, I, I think that that notion applies to so much. I think it applies to all asset classes. I think it applies to cities themselves. You know, it's a bit like if I if I host a meeting, but I'm not sure why I'm hosting it or who I'm inviting or what the purpose is. What? Why would you bother to attend? So I I really feel. Um, and I think in real estate, it leads also on to curation as much as the sort of spaces we design and curate or, right, right, um, right. or deliver. So the curation as well as the creation um, and really thinking about sustainability from, as you said, the social side, the environmental side, as well as the economic side. Yeah. You know, we do work in market economies. Our cities require inward investment. Um, so we need models that work for capital, we need models that work for community, and we need models that work for the occupants and those that really use the space. Um, and they need to see benefit in, in using it. So as I said, I think it's uh, for those that are positive, for those that see opportunity, um, you know, I think change is good and there's always things to learn, but I think it's part of the ongoing, ongoing evolution and it's working, it's coming through workplace now. And I think inherent in that, There'll be there'll be opportunities. So um, I'd like to explore your notion of what you mean by curation, uh, because I think um, I think I I think I, I understand it. But I wonder if people would like you to say a bit more about. So you know we we have a notion that people in your trade build a building and they kind of walk away. Um, but tell me what do you mean by curation? And and you don't walk away necessarily, do you? You have a long term relationship sometimes. So what do you mean by curation, do? Yeah, so as as Lendlease, we, we aim to manage assets ongoing. So we have around 44 billion of funds under management into real estate around the world. And what we always see value in, Tim, is the ability to be able to proactively curate or manage assets. And I think, I think it applies for cities, it applies for districts, it applies for the way you manage buildings themselves. They need proactive management. Um, and that that includes engaging the occupants, it includes the activities, it includes understanding the services and evolving those over time. So I think you'll see, um, I think you'll see an increasing focus on proactive management. I think you're seeing that with city governments and I think you're seeing that through the proactive investors and developers that really see the value in, as you said, not just sort of setting and forgetting, but continuing to evolve, continuing um, to adjust and proactively manage and engage um, at, at a real estate level. And, and as I said, I think it all comes back to being people centric, really understanding place and what drives value. Ultimately value comes through how real estate's used and the experience the occupants have. And that, that needs to be central to how we think about designing, managing, and as I said, curating um, real estate assets and places over time. Do you think the best buildings um, will, with, which have multiple occupancy in different companies and stuff, will be the ones, part of this, you know, earning the community will be more kind of community and interactions you, you, you can enable in a, in a shared office building? 
I think people want more of a kind of, uh, it's almost like everybody should be, it's not quite right, but we, we work all that kind of shared workspace stuff, but some, some of the best of them create a, a real sense of community in the building. Is that, is that figuring in your thinking? Oh, look, absolutely community and, and social engagement and activities and amenities is, is forefront um, in the way we think about development and the ongoing management of assets. So, and that, that comes down to the practical things you spoke about, you know, commuting earlier. Um, you know, I, I still find it a little bit of a mystery. Um, people talk about some of the challenges of commuting in London, but a lot of the ticketing structure hasn't adjusted for people to work two or three days a week. I buy yeah. a weekly ticket or I buy a day ticket. Yeah. So, is, yeah. um, so there's simple practicalities. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, that people sort of thought very much about segregating uses, but you come back to, again, the practicality. Can I get a, can I have breakfast before work? Where, what are my lunch options? Where can I go after work? So this and is, I, I think, yeah. yeah, I think some of those things are very simple if you really look at it through the eyes of occupants and users. And even, even some of that, Tim, comes back to the simple basics of do I feel comfortable and safe there? Yeah. Um, so we, we tend to often think about how you eliminate the negatives and then how you add positives and the attractors to places and, and assets. Part of the logic of that, which I agree with completely, Bo, is that there, there needs to be I've written about this. I did some, uh, I've done some kind of post-COVID strategies for a couple of cities, one of them my own, Cardiff in, in Wales. And I argue that the, the, the nature and depth of public-private collaboration needs to, you know, increase exponentially in the wake of what we've just been through. And, and the whole idea of, 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 a, of earning the commute, you know, it, but we need to be clear. And I'm not going to, I don't think we can solve it in this conversation, but I, I take a very positive view that we need to get as many people back in the city as many days as possible because i don't like some of the collateral knock-on effects of, of damaging that agglomeration lots of people uh, have had jobs lost in that in that process and i'm not entirely convinced that homeworking is the answer to everything at all but but um if you accept that hybrid working is the the norm now then i think you still have to say to yourself as a city and you know, in that whole chain of making a place great that we need to work together in different ways to to make that uh, journey back to work as good as possible and the experience while you're in the office and the city as good as possible and that will need a lot a lot more public private collaboration you know i know that lenny's is very adept and sophisticated at, and believes in the public private collaboration to create a place but do, do you generally think we, we need to see people step up your point by the way about the transport issues it, it does stand me it was clear two years ago, and it's still clear that only 50, 60% of people are coming back on public transport. And so we, we you know, and they, to get them in, if they're on their, you know, season ticket, then it, 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 they, they, we need to be flexible about how we can give them a kind of cost-effective opportunity to use public transport to come in. Because what I'm seeing in the research, David, is quite interesting, is that people are, because their car is outside, because they, they're not coming in every day, they're actually using their car more to come into the city centre offices. This is an international phenomenon where car use has increased uh, post-COVID, partly because people don't necessarily want as mix as much. But also they just got used again to being in their car and it doesn't make as much financial sense as before because of the season ticket problem. So I think you're absolutely right. And I'm just wondering whether, you, you don't have to say which cities, but 
I'm assuming that some cities are better at getting their act together to work with the private sector in this new context. Yeah, look, I, I think I think that's right, Tim. I think coming back to your comment about work, um, you know, I think we all understand we have moved to a hybrid hybrid environment. So there'll be opportunity, you know, to work remote, to work from home, um, and to work in dedicated workplaces. I don't I don't see it ever as a complete either or. I see it as a as a both, if you like. Um, and I think we need to appreciate, you know, how do I motivate people to come back? How do I make it worthwhile to come back rather than this notion of um, people must come back? So, um, so I, I approach it and, and Len Lease very much approaches it um, by looking at the quality of the workplaces we create, the quality of the amenity and services and connectivity that is associated with those places and how we genuinely create places that people want to be in, organisations want to be in. It builds to their brand, it builds um, to their and contributes to their business. So I think, I think that's the focus. Coming back to your comment about cities, you know, cities can never happen through just the public sector or just the private sector or, or individual um, sectors or um, components of a, of a city. Cities are always about organisations working together. And, you know, I, it takes on one hand, it takes a certain amount of enlightenment on that, but genuinely I have found in all the cities I've worked in, people generally want to do the right thing. People want to improve their city. Um, how you create shared values, how you create a shared vision, how you create the catalyst for that. Um, you know, we're going to have a discussion around some of those things. Um, but if you don't achieve, you know, clarity on a purpose and a mission and, and is it really worthwhile for everyone to work towards, then, then it's always difficult. And I think, you know, Tim, I know, you know, you were heavily involved in Thames Gateway, you were heavily involved in the Olympics in London and so on. And, it's, and you know, there is those times where you have that major catalyst um, you know, I'm working in Milan now on the old um, expo site. It's a major opportunity. You know, my time in London, at, you know, at Greenwich and part in the Thames Gateway, part on the South Bank in London, you know, in Sydney around the waterfront, Darling Harbour, the Barangaroo site and so on. So they were, they were major opportunities of waterfront regeneration, transport or infrastructure or major events. So we've got to always make the most of those things as well. And, and often, um, you know, often there's great opportunities. Obviously now Brisbane with the upcoming Olympics, you know, what sort of opportunities come around those. But, but to me, it's creating a shared vision that people can genuinely understand, feel this purpose, feel it's worthwhile and it works for collective stakeholders. That's, I think that's the magic of great regeneration in cities and great projects. That's, I think, brilliantly said, and I really enjoyed that. And I think I would only add one thing that it's a, the challenge in all that, I think, is still for people to behave in a, in a more collaborative and interactive way. And I think it's, a, it's going to be a wake-up call for some companies, some private companies, that they really will have to get their kind of social and, and hats on to, to have the best relationships because this is going to be a team effort to, to curate the city of the future. You are listening to the Grimshaw Podcast, Building the City Series. I was going to ask you about your greatest hits, and I want to talk about Milan. Uh, and I'll talk about Milan next, but I just want to say something uh, I'm, uh, positive about, uh, and very welcoming about the Barangaroo development, because you know it's a, it's a very complex and big thing that you've been involved in, and it's transformed 
the city there on and as you say it's a kind of export activity but i have to tell you it's one of the best public spaces in sydney and um and i don't know i, I, I don't know if you intended it to be but it is you know sort of a, i think you did the uh, you know come on tim of course of course it was all your own work it doesn't and he, happen by accident right no no of course of course no no great well i'm not sure about this i was going to say no great pleasure place ever arose by accident but i'm not sure about that but however but i do think that it's one of the it's become one of the public squares of of sydney in a place that doesn't have many um and so it's become I think tremendously lively, you know, uh, even post COVID, you know, uh, as a place. And I think uh, people go there in order to have a drink and a night out, not just people who work there. So um, I think, uh, you know, I know it's had its controversies and I know that, you know, uh, no great development in the middle of a city is ever uncontroversial and all that stuff. But actually, it works really well as a public space. You should be quite proud of that. Oh, look, I, I think I think everyone involved is is proud of the outcome, um, Tim, and and the benefits you know from um, from remediating the land. There was obviously contamination in that land and that part of the city. So to see that cleaned up, to see the improvements in transport connectivity, the increase in economic activity, the public waterfront, um, the creation of the headland, and so on. So. You know, from the New South Wales government for everyone involved, yes, it came with its challenges, yeah. um, but I think it's been a great outcome from the city. I, I was recently back in Sydney visiting, and I went out. Um, I went out to Parramatta, and I caught the um, the river cat back down the river. And it, right. listening to people, it was on, it was on a Saturday afternoon that were coming into the city on the Saturday evening, coming to Barangaroo, many of them. Um, and hearing them talk about sort of the excitement they were looking forward to for a night out at Barangaroo and enjoying the public realm and the restaurants and the F&B offer and so on, it's, it's fantastic. So, and I think, it, you know, I think the whole regeneration of the waterfront and the continuation of that through Roselle Bay, I think there's a, you know, there's an ongoing great opportunity for Sydney, um, as there is in many cities on, on waterfront um, regeneration um, to be able to capture that. And, you know, if you create the right public spaces with the right offer, with the right experience and connectivity, you know, you always see the public respond. And, you know, they're certainly using Brangaroo in that way in Sydney, which is, as I said, terrific. Well, one thing I wanted to say to you about that, because I, I agree with all that, is the um, that, that almost no other modern development in Sydney and so maybe in, in Australian cities has created quite the sense of place and a kind of welcoming, you know, it's a civic space and, and development doesn't always lead to a civic space in anywhere, but, you know, it's been in short supply in some of the Australian cities and Sydney, for those people who have never been there, um, I, I think we've, you know, we've managed to create a, an, a, at one level, an amazing city that looks out to this beautiful ocean and this fantastic harbour with, you know, tremendous iconic buildings, but, but actually there wasn't that much public space. Uh, in in you know in the way that uh, London has lots of parks and all this kind of stuff, there's not been quite like that. And so you've created a a new civic space on what was a, a former industrial port. And um, I think it's a, it's to your tremendous credit. Uh, I want to talk a bit about uh, Milan. What are you doing in Milan? Because that sounds exciting. It always the trouble with me is that everybody assumes that because I do this kind of interviewing people about international stuff that I that I must have been everywhere. <laughs> I've never been to Milan. So what are you up to in Milan, David? 
Yeah, so Tim, we're, we've had a business in uh, Milan for quite a long time. What we started to explore around um, six or seven years ago, was there an opportunity to extend that business into the development area and the creation um, of larger districts or, and, and larger projects? And through that, we identified two major opportunities. One at Milano Santa Giulia, um, which is out towards Lanate Airport in Milan, which is an old industrial area. Um, so we're looking at a major regeneration um, project there. And then at a project um, that's called MIND, Milan Innovation District, um, which we're working very closely um, with REO Expo and the city and the district government. Um, on the regeneration of the World Expo site. So it was really, how do they continue the positive legacy that came out of World Expo? And how does that site um, get, which was a, an old industrial site, how does that really get repositioned? Um, and we have worked now, um, working with the city, working with all the stakeholders, we're relocating a big part of Milan University there. There's a major new 600-bed teaching hospital. Um, there's the new Technopole, which is um, a technology-based education um, facility. And then we're integrating with that a whole series of life science, um, residential and other mixed use. So it's a, it's a really exciting opportunity. Um, again, very much collaboration with government, collaboration with stakeholders. And we've taken that um, probably a step further in, in Milan where the team have been working on what they call federated innovation, which is really the creation of community um, and community in sense of business community about collaborating on initiatives. And they're looking at a whole array of opportunities in life science and other areas around innovation. And that's chaired independently. Um, mm -hmm. And we've involved Berkeley um, University. We've involved a um, venture fund starting to fund some of that innovation and research. And, and we're really seeing some of the benefits of that, which ultimately will flow onto organisations also wanting um, workplaces and facilities of mind, but it builds and creates something far, far more than just real estate. It's really, again, back to an ecosystem um, that's based on, you know, economic fundamentals as well as environment sustainable uh, fundamentals and creating a great place for talent and people. So, I, I, so I'd like pretty to exciting. Yeah, I was going to say, can you say a little bit more about this federated model? Uh, who came up with it and how does it get, um, how, do, how do you create the community? You, you must put some capacity into it yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's back to the point I made earlier, Tim, around curation. So, and, and programming and really thinking about how places um, and workplaces and so on are used and how you create interaction between organisations and people. So we created some temporary buildings and reused some of the facilities, the old expo facilities. As I said, the government was very proactive in putting the Technopole there um, as well. And what we started to look at was what were the organisations we could bring together that had a real shared interest in promoting innovation, in looking at how they could learn, contribute and, and benefit from working and collaborating together. Um, so we basically created memberships 
Um, we brought an independent chair in of that and we acted really as the facilitator. But now it's a whole series of organisations, both public sector, private sector, life science sectors, working together um, on innovative ideas. And that's, that's as I said, has included um, a whole array of things, uh, including some opportunities with technology related to um, COVID and, and overcoming um, or looking at potential solutions um, in the life science areas um, and medicine as well. So it's been, it's, it's an exciting journey and we see that very much as part of the place, part of the ecosystem. Um, and I think it really comes down to, and I know on previous um, podcasts, you've spoken about innovation districts and precincts and so on, but bringing like-minded um, organisations, not identical organisations, because the diversity helps, but bringing like-minded organisations that can share ideas, share research, um, share opportunity, and that can then evolve those and iterate those faster by working collaboratively and collectively. So we're, we're aiming to be a facilitator of that, uh, Tim. Look, I think that's fascinating and also should be a, like a conversation in itself, right, in a, another podcast, because I think that whole idea of the way in which commercial interests evolve and that you, you, know, you understand that creating an innovation district requires um, collaboration, like, you know, not in a normal kind of commercial sense, but something beyond that. And then that creates commercial value. And I think, uh, so the coming together of the curation and the, and the physical placemaking, you know, is really core to making a successful innovation district, I think. And I think, you know, I wish you well in Milan. It sounds really exciting. You mentioned earlier on, David, that a, a, another focus of yours and Lenny's is, and there's a big sort of movement internationally now with lots of interest and projects in Australia around build to rent. What is build to rent in your perspective? What is it? Uh, build to rent um, is clearly a, a, an emerging asset class in a number of cities, Tim. Obviously, the US has had multifamily as a as a large part of housing stock for a long time. Um, build to rent is really the notion of creating purpose residential property that's set up for rental um, with the ability to create scale around that, with the ability to bring professional management to that and with the opportunity to bring services and amenity that services um, that service the occupants and really improve sort of the quality of living there. So we, we see it um, being demanded by institutional capital that is seeing it increasingly becoming a, a valid and interesting asset class and investment. Uh, we're seeing governments looking for solutions on more housing and variations in rental models or ownership models. Um, and we see it as a fundamental part of future mixed-use communities now. So it's a, it's a major focus. Um, we're, we're involved, obviously, in the US. We're involved um, with it um, increasingly in London. We're looking at it in uh, Milan now. Um, we're starting some projects there in Australia. Uh, so it's, it's very much a big focus for us. And um, again, we see it as a significant opportunity. So the thing is, I'm very keen on it, although there are different models and some of them are reliant on capital gains and, and you know, exiting after about 10 years. And some of them are just what they are, I think, mostly in the US, which is long term, you know, professional um, management of, of rental. Yeah. The income streams are, are enough and that it's not about 
selling in the, you know the property again are you doing both models in in lending so you're interested in both or are you doing mostly long-term rental uh, as opposed yeah, to our focus, we, we've been involved in the delivery of multifamily. Obviously, Lendlease has an investment business, a development business, and a construction business. Um, we've been uh, delivering or building multifamily for a long time in the US. Um, now we're investing with a number of our key investor partners, and we're focused on um, long-term proposition generally. So designing, delivering it with the specific purpose of long-term rental and then continuing to manage um, manage those assets long-term. So again, puts a focus on the sorts of amenity, the sorts of service, the quality of place um, that will ultimately lead to, you know, from our perspective, higher levels of occupancy, higher levels of demand um, and longevity um, and resilience um, in that rental stock. So. Um, Tim, you're familiar with our project at Elephant Park on the South Bank in London. We've completed a number of buildings there. We've got great occupancy. And as I said, we're looking at, um, we're looking at the Australian market, Sydney, Melbourne, and other markets now to, to extend our focus. I mean, the, the lenders, I guess, could do a, a variety of models because you've got your three arms, as it were. But in, your, um, in the London one, are you, are you managing the stock or are you contributing um, that out just out of interest? No, we are. We're we're managing um, ourselves. So obviously, we work with, you know, we work with some other organisations. But the core management, um, we believe the quality of the services we offer, the customer service, the experience, um, we wanted to be very proactive in that. So we are we are actively managing it. On the residential front, let's bring the two conversations together. We've had about cities, workspaces, and residential uh do you think that there will be pressure and actually that the change should come in terms of zoning in our city centers you know there's big discussions going on about cbds becoming central experience districts and, and more mixed use and that part of the consequence of that is that we might we will see pressure to redesignate offices as residential uh, what do you feel about that as a, as a momentum and as a direction of travel yeah, look, Tim, I'm a, I'm a big believer in mixed use, um, mixed use cities. Um, you know, I think it relates to creating, you know, seven day cities. I'm not, I'm not always completely convinced on the 24 seven. I'm not sure everyone <laughs> wants activity 24 hours where they live, but, um, but certainly seven days and extended, um, and, and for very simple reasons, um, you know, you spoke earlier about commuting and so on. So having the opportunity for people to live closer to where they work, having the opportunity for amenity and services businesses to be able to service both residential clientele as well as um, employees or, or organisations, businesses. I, I think it's it's really important. So I don't feel, um, you know, I don't feel cities should be limited in... Um, in restricting zoning to just particular asset classes, I think there needs to be a lot more openness, especially as it relates to the ground plane, um, yes. which is really yeah. what we all experience as citizens and visitors as users. Um, and, you know, people want those to feel safe. They want them to seven days a week, inviting, activated with great amenity and so on. So absolutely we're advocates of mixed use. If you look at what we're genuinely doing across, you know, the majority of our larger projects is ensuring that ground plane is, 
is mixed use and working with you know governments authorities and the other stakeholders uh, to achieve that so absolutely um, you know i'm a, i'm positive about the future of cities i think in in real estate we need to be positive i'd also sort of add tim a little bit you know i think real estate and cities you know i see it as a great industry a great profession and you know i've obviously been at it a few years now i'm, I'm at the more towards the back end of my career than the beginning but i'd really encourage for some of your listeners and so on you know we need new talent new thinking and i think a career in real estate in property with whatever facet of it um, including obviously design and the many professionals that contribute to it is is critically important and a, and a great career path and i think more so um, than ever i think people are having the conversations you know we're having this conversation today all the work you did in the committee of city and and organizations like grimshaws and others starting the debates talking about the quality of what our cities need to be how they can contribute to the quality of life the contributions to well-being to sustainability i i'm i'm very positive on that i'm excited by it um, yes there's lots of challenges um, but I, I still think there's lots of lots of opportunities and real ability for people to be able to make a mark and make a difference. Look, I think that's a, as good a place to end this conversation on as any. I think it was very articulate and eloquent, and I, I'm delighted we had this conversation. I could spend another hour talking about all sorts of things with you about this. I've learned a lot today, and I've learned a lot from knowing you and your work. And I was going to say that I think that um, the spirit that you've just uh exemplified about you know in a sense the role of of the private sector as part of the kind of stakeholder group to actually make better cities and the contribution that you can make through your skills and your investments to place making and community benefit i think it's a big moment really given the changes in the market post-covid changes in our cities changes in real estate demands and pressures changing consumer you know desires the point we made at the beginning about what people who occupy buildings now expect from their building and their, the companies they work for you know there's a, a bigger agenda to to meet and to achieve that i think we have to work together in ways that we've not done before and i and, and i think although some of the best companies and i think uh, lenny's do come into this triple bottom line category have always understood the need for collaboration and benefited from it but also contributed because of it and i think anybody listening to this conversation can tell that that's not hype that has been what i think you've been doing and your colleagues uh, that you've worked with so look let me let me say thank you very much for your time david it's been a pleasure talking to you and um you know we all wish you well in milan and singapore and uh, at some point i will visit your great works in milan and have a look so thank you for your time today you have been listening to the third series of the grimshaw podcast building the city with your host Tim Williams. Join us again for other episodes in the series or listen to the previous series at your favourite podcast provider.